I wonder whether you caught the story this week in the news about a solo hiker who decided that he was going to hike up Mount Elbert in Colorado. It's the highest peak in the Rocky Mountains. He had chosen the South Elbert Trail, which ascends 4,800 feet, about 1,500 meters. And they say it's about a seven-hour hike round trip to go up and then come down. Except 11 hours after he began, his friends and loved ones still hadn't heard from him. They called the mountain rescue to say our friend is still missing somewhere on the mountain. And then the mountain rescue team organized a search party and they went up on the mountain to look for this man till three o'clock in the morning. They couldn't find him. So they called off the search and waited for daylight. By the time the next day had dawned, the man had actually found his way back down to his car about 24 hours after he had started his hike and he had made his way home and the search was ended. But the interesting twist in the story was this, that when the loved ones called Mountain Rescue, they actually gave the Mountain Rescue team the man's cell phone number, a number that they called several times. Calls that the man later admitted that he had received. But every time he picked up his cell phone and looked at it, it said no caller ID. So he didn't pick up. (laughs) This is a man who is so committed to not talking on the phone that he would rather be stranded and lost on a mountain for 24 hours than take the chance of answering the phone and talking to a perfect stranger. And the mountain rescue team was sort of publishing the story to say, listen, if, if you're lost on a mountain and you get a phone call from no caller ID, maybe just answer the phone to see who it is. Because what they wanted to do out of care and concern for him, they were calling him to say, listen, here's what you need to do to get yourself back on track in order to experience the very best of the hike that you were hoping to experience. They were trying to help him walk in the way. And in some weird way, this story struck me as kind of an analogy for what we're talking about in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, we have said, are a part of God's covenant relationship with Israel and with us. That they are rooted in God's unconditional saving love for us, and we respond with our grateful love for God. And the way that we respond is by living out these Ten Commandments, a Ten Commandment-shaped life as our grateful response of love to God. The Ten Commandments are God calling us and saying, listen, I care about you. I want what's best for you. Here's how I want you to walk in order to experience the very best that I have for you. And so starting this morning in the third week of the Ten Commandments series, we're finally going to get to the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at the first of the ten, which reads in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, very simply, it says, You must have no other gods before me. You must have no other gods before me. Now, most of us, I imagine, are not on the verge of converting to Islam or worshiping Vishnu and becoming Hindus or any kind of... We're not in very much danger of worshiping other gods. What is it that this commandment means for us? Essentially, at its very heart, what God is saying is, I want your total devotion, love, 
and loyalty all to myself. I want you to be fully devoted only to me as your response of love for the love that I have poured out for you. We have been using the analogy of wedding vows to describe the Ten Commandments, us committing to God that these are the kinds of people that we want um, to be in response to God's love for us. And this is God. The first commandment is God saying, and I want your love all to myself. I want to be the one thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. I want to be the one thing that motivates all of your choices. I want to be the one thing that captivates your heart. I want to be the one thing that you obsess about in life. I want you to grasp me and hold me and cling to me alone as the reason for your life. As opposed to pursuing all sorts of other sources of value and meaning in life. That's, I think, the way that we experience other gods in our life, is that we experience other things that we look to instead of God as sources of meaning and value and security. Things like money and sex and power, things like youth and popularity and education, things like work and achievement, things like politics, things like even religion and theology our belief systems. We look to those things for meaning and value and security instead of looking to God. And God says, I want you to have nothing else before me. Now, a phrase before me can mean a couple of things. It can be translated on the one hand, in front of me kind of envisioning this idea that we have a a lineup of priorities in our life, a, a multitude of things that we care about, and God is not the first, and God is not the second or the third or the fourth, that God is somewhere in the top five of our priorities for life. But there are other things in front of God as more important to us in life. It can be translated, have no other gods alongside of me. That the kind of the image would be that there is a whole lot of priorities we have and we don't value any of them, you know, one more than the other. And God is just one of the things that we care about in life. God is kind of a Sunday morning, Tuesday night thing. And our work, which we care equally about, is a Monday to Friday thing. And our kids, whom we love, especially their, you know, their extracurricular activities are a Monday, Wednesday, Saturday morning thing. And there's just a whole bunch of things in our calendar. And we love them all. And we're devoted to them all. And God is just one of the things that we care about in life. It can be translated, thirdly, um, have no other gods instead of me as a replacement for me. Kind of the idea that we end up caring about something else so much that we actually stop caring about God altogether. I, I tell you, and I'm not kidding when I say this, I have a friend for whom Scrabble, the board game, became a god instead of God. When we met in university, he was a fully devoted lover of Jesus and so on. And he also loved the board game Scrabble. And Scrabble tournaments happened to happen on Sunday mornings at the same time as church. And he really wanted to go to Scrabble tournaments. So he went to Scrabble tournaments instead of church. And literally after a year, he lived for Scrabble instead of God. God was no longer a factor in how he thought about the way his life would be organized. You could also translate it, finally, have no other gods in opposition to me. 
where you care about two things so much that they actually form a tension in your life. Yeah, I really love God and I want to follow Jesus, but I also really want to be successful in my business. And being successful in my business or being successful in school can demand that I do things that I know Jesus wouldn't approve of. And now these two things are living in tension with each other. But this is the whole point of the first commandment. Nothing competes with God. That God has our full and complete devotion, loyalty, trust, and love. And we love nothing else more than God. We love nothing else as much as God. We love nothing else instead of God. And we love nothing else in competition with God. God alone is the main thing in our life. And we live to love God, period. And all those other things, the money, sex, and power, and all that whole list that I said before, those are all good things. They are gifts that God gives us. They are the things that we do when we get out of bed in the morning. But we're just fundamentally committed to never having any of those things be as important or more important to us than our life with God. It is our life with God that dictates how we relate to all of those other things. And I'm telling you, this commandment is first because it's foundational. It is the foundation of everything else. It, its foundation is in God's love for us. In the verses just before, in Exodus 20, verse 1, it says, Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, or uh, in the text it's Yahweh, the name of God. I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God says, this is how I have loved you. And here's how I want you to love me back. I have loved you in this unconditionally saving way. And now I want you to love me back in this totally 100% fully devoted way. God's love for us is the foundation of our love for God. But it is also the foundation for all the other commandments. That if you get this commandment right, all the other commandments kind of fall in place. If God is our number one priority, then everything else kind of makes sense. Um, the New Testament sort of describes this in 1 John chapter 4. It says this, we love because God first loved us. That's the first commandment. Love God because God loved you. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters whom they have seen can hardly love God whom they have not seen. You see the logic. It says, if you genuinely love God, that's going to flow out of your life in the way that you love everybody else. If you don't love everybody else, it's because you haven't decided to first love God. Getting this right is how all the rest of it flows in our life. Getting this right is how we live as freed people. Right? This is where it starts. God says, I have loved you so much that I have set you free from slavery in Egypt. In the New Testament, the New Testament writers say to us, God has loved us so much that God sent Jesus into the world to set us free from the power of sin and death and empire. God, this is what it looks like to live as freed people, to align our lives with God's vision for who we would be as individuals and as, an, as a community. When we get off this trail, like that mountain hiker, when we get off this trail, we're inviting chaos and destruction and death. We are enslaving ourselves all over again to sin and death in our lives. We're not 
we're cutting ourselves off from the life God wants from us. But in as much as we walk in this way, the Ten Commandment way, the way of loving God and loving people that starts with us giving exclusive devotion to God. We are walking in alignment with the way of Jesus and opening our life to joy and peace and life and healing and hope. This is the first commandment, that God would have our full and complete, exclusive loyalty, devotion, and trust. In effect, the first commandment begins with what that Chinese proverb says when it says the main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing. And the main thing in our life is our response of grateful love exclusively to the God who has loved us unconditionally in Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to live out that first commandment. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter six, the writer of Deuteronomy kind of unpacks this commandment, both in terms of what it looks like to disobey this command and what it looks like to obey it. And so starting with what it looks like to disobey, it says in Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in verse 12, it says, don't forget Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You can hear that 10 commandments language. Don't follow other gods, those gods of the people around you. The way we end up disobeying this commandment, in, according to Deuteronomy, is when we forget God and end up chasing after other stuff. So when do we forget God? Well, in Deuteronomy 6, what the writer is actually talking about is the ways that we are tempted to forget God when everything is going well in our life. That when everything is going well, when life is easy and privileged and we have, you know, most of what anybody would want to live a life contentedly and well, what ends up happening is we end up forgetting that everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything that we have is an expression of God's unconditional grace and love to us. And we start thinking that we deserve all of it, that we're entitled to all of it. We start thinking that everything that we have is the product of our hard work, our work ethic, our determination. You know, we have made good choices and good things have come to us. And at that exact moment, we are no, we have forgotten God. We have lost the spirit of grateful love and we have started to care about our comfortable lifestyle more. The other way that I think in the Bible, the other main way that we forget God, ironically, is when things go terribly. And maybe we've experienced a little bit more of this in the last year and a half. That when things go badly, all of a sudden we start to think, well, maybe God doesn't actually love us as much as I thought God did. Or maybe God isn't actually able or doesn't want to solve my problem, fix my circumstance, rescue me from the situation I find myself. And we end up turning away from God and looking to other things to be the source of our meaning and value and security. We end up turning away from God and looking to other things to solve our problems, to make life the way we want life to be. I think in the last year and a half, as for many of us, life has not gone 
in the very best way that we want it to go, I think culturally we have turned away, even within the church, from God, and we've started to pursue other things. And I'll, I'll just name three. Aside from the list that I gave you before, the power, sex, and money, the youth, and popularity, and education, and comfort, and work, and achievement, and success, and politics, and religion, and theology, all of those things which can be God's. In the last year and a half, I've seen three come to the forefront. The first is happiness. We worship at the altar of happiness, where we believe that we deserve and are entitled to experience the very best of everything, that it is our right to be happy and healthy and wealthy all of the time. And anything that impedes our happiness is absolutely unacceptable to us. Rather than trusting that God has us no matter what. The second that I've seen us pursue is the idea of freedom. The idea that I alone am entitled to determine what I think is best for me. No one else can tell me how I am supposed to live and what I am supposed to do. Nobody has that right. Only I can determine what's right for me. As opposed to trusting God that this Ten Commandments shaped life of love that God has invited us into is what is right for us regardless of how it feels. The third, happiness, freedom, the third one is violence. I think we've seen our culture and even the church decide that when somebody else gets in the way of me pursuing what I have decided would make me happy, I am entitled to use violence, whether verbally, emotionally, mentally, physically, Sexually, spiritually, violence and abuse in all forms are appropriate responses to anyone who gets in the way of me getting my way. Rather than trusting Jesus when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. See, in all of these things, we are pursuing something other than a full devotion to God. And it leads to lives that look different than a Ten Commandments shaped life, the life of loving God and loving people that Jesus invites us into. It is valuing and prioritizing something else as more than or as much as or instead of or in competition with the life that God has invited us into, a life of love to God. So if that's what it looks like to disobey, what does it look like to obey? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this, Israel, people of God, listen, our God is Yahweh. We have only Yahweh. We have no other gods. So love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. This is the flip side of no other gods, is love God with everything you have, with all your heart, which in the ancient world had more to do with thoughts and choices than it did with feelings and emotions. Love, align all of your thinking with the kind of way God looks at the world. Align all of your choices to be consistent with the Jesus way of love. Love God with all of your being, with all of your soul, with all of your vigor and energy and vitality. Love God with all of the life force within you. Love God as passionately and zealously as you humanly can to the very last moment and last breath of your life. Love God with all of your strength. It's a comment about intensity. It literally means love God with your muchness. 
with everything that you have. Bring as much as you have to your love for God. Every penny and every possession, every ounce of mental and physical and emotional strength in every circumstance, channel it into um, giving God your full and complete loyalty, trust, devotion, and love in everything. How do we do that? Just quickly, I'd say three things. Number one, we live out of a posture of grateful love. This whole thing begins with grateful love, with remembering God's unconditional love for us, which is one of the reasons why we gather on Sunday mornings to remind ourselves about this beautiful way that God has loved us in Jesus Christ and to pour that love back out to God in passionate worship that carries through then in the shape of our life for the rest of the week. Secondly, I would say we trust God in an unwavering way, even in the midst of our anger and doubts, even when things are hard, even when life seems precarious. We get out of bed every day and say, I'm going to live today to exclusively lean into my love and trust and devotion to God, no matter what. And thirdly, which is the whole rest of the series, Live a Ten Commandments-shaped life always. This is what it looks like to have nothing else matter more, as much as, instead of, or in competition with God, but to give God, out of grateful love, our full and complete devotion in everything. This is the first commandment. That the main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing. And the main thing is that we respond to God's unconditional love with unconditional love for God. Let's pray. Father, we have never deserved to be loved the way that you love us. We've never deserved the gift of Jesus Christ. We have never deserved you giving us your life in the spirit. We have never deserved all of the good things that we get to experience in life. And we recognize everything as gift. We repent of the ways that we have given ourselves to other things rather than giving ourselves wholly and fully to you. And we thank you for your grace in receiving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.